Okay, and the story begins. We're on the second part of chapter 26, page 300. I have my book today. Okay, there we go. Good job. This chapter, this section of the chapter, I'll, I'll be, I'm going to be a little vulnerable here. If there was one part of Tanya, I would have to, I would skip if I had the choice to. It would probably be this one. And why is that? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's a, no worries. I'm, I'm we, loving your family. Thank you. Yeah. So we, we just started. Okay. It's a nice, easy chapter to read. He said that we're going to skip Josh's moment the whole the section of time. No, I didn't say we're going to skip it. I said if there was one section, which I would decide to skip. It's this one. It would probably be this one. Because it was easy. <laughs> Not because it was easy. It was, I found it to be hard. I found it to be hard. I found it to be... Hard not just to understand, but hard to apply. When, when we taught this in JLI, I told everybody at the beginning of the class, you have to make me a promise not before to, I say anything. Tell anybody about Don't tell anybody about this chapter. Because if somebody is suffering, <laughs> you cannot tell them this information. When you're suffering, you have to think about you this information. You to yourself, but not to others. Exactly. So that's why I, I feel like it's a hard chapter. I, I, I question myself when I read this, cha this chapter, this section. Would I be able to apply it to myself? And I ask that God never um, give me that opportunity. <laughs> you ask that he give you that opportunity, but he give it to you in the right time. Because <laughs> you've got to live. It makes a difference if you prepare yourself by learning this before you're suffering. Or after. Or after, but not while you're suffering, probably. Because if, if the concept is... Is given to you while you're exactly. suffering, you're probably gonna. It's gonna be very hard. Yeah. To be less receptive. That's true. So, so when when you're suffering, you're not ready for it. But when you, you when you to, well, when that's you, we got to be prepared. Yeah. So you prepared, but, but you, you you have to. Yeah. I don't know. You can never suffer beyond your endurance. You can and never what? Suffer beyond your endurance. Cool. That's true. God won't give us what he we can't handle. So so basically, like. If you're suffering and you know you can never suffer beyond your endurance, you're going to be okay. Well, I have a question. So you said we're never given a suffering we can't handle, but what about something like the Holocaust? You went there. I mean, you have, you have, a, you know, I was, I was at a, a, there was like a weekly discussion group that started taking place at Chabad. Um, and I was there. And there's a lady who joins. Maybe you met her. Her name is Stella. You know Stella, Stella Beck. You know Stella Beck? I know her very well. Yeah. She's a Holocaust survivor. Yes. Did she bring her, her guy friend also? She not No, she did He was a Holocaust survivor. As well? Also. Yeah. But an incredible person. Confident, strong. Very much With so. it. Powerful. And it, I, to, to, for me to say she could handle it, that's not my place. But... Made her stronger. She's a strong person. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah. She is. She's okay. a strong person. What about, what about the people that didn't make it? They, they didn't suffer because they gone. Well, but it, they had to endure it while they were still They, they alive. endured suffering. I mean, obviously, they were able to, to handle it to some degree. It It's... Like, that. That's the challenge. Whenever we talk about suffering in Judaism, it's a scary topic, and, and especially as any rabbi it's it's a dangerous zone to enter because as soon as if you don't justify the suffering then rabbi you don't have the answers to my question and if you do justify the, the suffering and you give answers to the question thank you 
then it's rabbi you're just you're justifying pain <laughs> it's it's a catch-22 and it's a yeah. trap it's a big trap you know I, I think in I think I think David is, is right it's, it's like you have to you you have to have prepared yourself before the before the before incidents for this to make sense but for it to make sense I could see suffering enough that you wouldn't even be able to reach out to God but if you were in enough pain and you your mind was not even clear enough to... To even think that way. To reach, yeah. But that's why having these ideas in the back of our head beforehand, yeah. so it kind of becomes part of our nature. It definitely, it definitely trains ourselves. But it's, I, I think there's also, it, uh, it, it comes back to faith, meaning, um, and maybe I'm 100% wrong about this, but I mean, it, it, it seems to me it comes back to faith because no matter how much you rationalize any particular situation... If you have faith that, you know, God um, is, uh, that everything that God does is for the good, um, that's faith because there are certain things that are just incomprehensible to us. So if we can't comprehend it, if we can't rationalize it, we have to accept, accept it. That, that, you know. And that's kind of the gist of our, our chapter. He says, on page 300, if we want to, the, the way to, to cope with the suffering is basically embrace it. Don't focus on the pain, the experience, but have some sort of faith that this is good. But b before we get into that, let's first understand why it's important to cope with suffering. What's wrong if I just allow myself to experience pain and... and the Alter Rebbe, the Tanya, doesn't take that route. You know, many psychologists may tell you, feel the pain, embrace the pain, talk about your pain, your pain is real, the suffering is real, and they might be right. But the Alter Rebbe takes a totally different route to pain and suffering. He says, no, rejoice. That's even harder. And that's hard. That's and, even harder. But he know, doesn't say you're not going like, to suffer. He's, he doesn't say you're not suffering, but, but his attitude towards suffering. You know, the, the Breslover the Hasidim, the Hasidic dynasty of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov are very intense. They thank God for everything. And it's part of their, their um, philosophy and approach to serving God is they're, they're appreciative of everything that happens. And everything they'll do, they'll, th they'll go through their whole entire day and just thank God for this, thank God for that. Even for, for negative things or things that seem negative. I knew a, 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 he was a young guy. He was very into breasts of Hasidus. He lost his job. His, his boss terminated his, his position. And he goes, thank you, God. <laughs> his boss guy, says, I'm glad boss. I fired this guy. He's a nut. He's a quack. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you also told about in the jail, last jail, like, about um, I forgot his name, but the one who always said he he, he never had any negative moments. Rebzusha. Rebzusha, yes. Rebzusha that was said one he, of the three paradigms, right? One of the three paradigms, yes. Yes. So the reason why it's important, why why is it important to know how to cope with suffering? The theme of these chapters, chapter twenty six and onward, is if I am experiencing depressive feelings anxiety, depression, or whatever negative feeling that's depressing me in the literal sense of the word, I'm not going to be able to serve God properly. Serving God properly means with joy. If I don't serve God with joy, 
I'm not motivated. Motivation is a result of joy. Lethargy. Am I pronouncing it right? Lethargy. 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 Okay. But you can pronounce it differently. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Lethargy is a symptom of, of, of these negative emotions that are depressing me. So I need to develop joy. I need to be sensitive because when I'm desensitized, I also fall into this depression. And I need to be worry-free. We spoke about those three things, and we're going to discuss all three of them, but in the reverse order, as we said last week. Right now we're discussing worry, how, how to become worry-free. And there's different from, types of from worries. From warrior to warrior. Exactly. The, from warrior to warrior, there's different types of worries. There's guilt. There's shame, which guilt we'll discuss next week. Shame we'll discuss the week after. But now we're discussing worry, being worried from life. Because, you know, when the soul's in heaven, life is easy, and then it has to work for a living. It comes down to earth, and life has so many worries. There's so much to worry about. There's an endless amount to worry about. And there's an endless amount of, or it seems like an endless amount of suffering, of pain. And if we can learn how to not suffer, <laughs> right? If we can learn how to just not suffer... We, 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 can, we can experience our relationship with God, our relationship with people. We can experience life on a much more um, peaceful level. It's so interesting because about three years ago, four years ago, my, my dad went in for his first operation and he was had cancer. And the chance that he came out was like 90% that he was going to die. Wow. And he went in and before he went in, the night before, I was sitting with him and then he was writing. And he was writing a beautiful poem about destiny. And when you know, you don't know where your destiny And But this beautiful poem was like that, it was for someone. And it was like, but it, the, the thing is, he wasn't worried. He, like, he was just, he, he was just focused on that, what he was writing. Amazing. And it's like, it's, it's kind of, it, when, when he went in for the operation, it kind of helped him recover. Because when he came out, about only a month later, he got out of the hospital. Maybe a month and a half, he was in specialized ICU. And he, and he asked about it. And now that thing, he values that so much because it was what he needed to do when he did it. And it was nothing physical because he can't do physical stuff. I had to write because he can't write because he writes, he shakes too much with Parkinson. Wow. So some, some would say that, <coughs> so, some would say that was like therapeutic for him. For him, it was therapeutic, and it was also therapeutic because he was so positive. I mean, I was dying there because I thought, oh, well, this is it, you know, this is saying goodbye, you know. Yeah. But, but I'm, I'm, I am curious, though. So the, se I would, the, the secular way to say that was what he was doing was therapeutic. Yes. What's the rabbinic view of what he was doing? Okay, great. Good question. What, what was the question? Well, you know, I, what Sharon was describing was her father doing this activity that gave him a sense of purpose, a sense of um, meaning, a sense meaning of, of calmness, of, right? of acceptance. That, like the next day, it's almost you're going to say goodbye because 99% or 90% of the chance you're not going to make it. You've had Parkinson's, you can't. And so, so these exercises were therapeutic. Yeah. 
so what would what would the Jewish approach be? What would the Hasidic approach be? What does therapeutic mean? Healing. Hmm? Healing. Healing. Okay. It's good for the soul. Good for the soul. Okay. That's therapy. Yeah. I guess it depends on how we define how we understand what therapy means. What what therapeutic activity means. I think your question will be answered okay. as as the chapter unfolds. And if it doesn't, you you hold, hold me accountable. Okay. So here's here's the the, the Rebbe makes a paradigm shift, which, again, promise me that you're never going to tell this to anybody and never preach this to anybody. You could share it as information before the before anybody or will God forbid suffer. But afterwards, don't. <laughs> I'm gonna keep this book in a lockbox. Exactly, and it, the Altarebbe says three words, quoted from the famous Talmudic sage, and he says, it's on the bottom of 300, the, the second to last paragraph, because even this apparently bad occurrence is for the good too. As we say, in Hebrew, gam zulatova, this is also good. So when we experience negativity, the Altarebbe says, okay, you're experiencing negativity, that doesn't mean it's negative. There's a paradigm shift here. Stop focusing on your experience. Focus on what is. Now you can't see what is. Even when you look at it, it looks bad. But that's where faith comes in. There's something beyond what may meet the eye in terms of what's taking place. And you can't understand that, but you could believe it. That paradigm shift. Shifting from how I experience reality to believing a deeper, that there's a deeper sense of reality is the key. And this is what the famous Rav Nachum uh, Ish Gamzu, he lived his life with this statement, Gamzu Latova. This is a quote from the Talmud. He says here, Talmud tractate Tainus. And are, are we familiar with the story of Nachum Ish Gamzu? Maybe once you start the story, I'll know, but I wouldn't <laughs> know by his name. The story is, there, is, there was actually two great sages. Rabbi Akiva would say everything that happens is for the best. He used an Aramaic phrase to express that. Nachum Ish Gamzu would say it in Hebrew. Gamzu Latova. There was the 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 Caesar of basically the, the, the ruler of this of this area wanted to they, they had to send somebody to meet him. I don't know exactly what they needed to meet him about. This is what the Talmud tells us. It was some sort of appeal to do something for the Jewish people. And they sent Rav Na, they sent Nachum. This guy, Nachum, Ish Gamzu. He was called Ish Gamzu. It's actually a debate in the Talmud. Why is he called Ish Gamzu? Some say because he used to always say Gamzu, Latova. This is always good. So they called him Gamzu. Some say he was from a town called Gamzu. They send Nachum, Gam, they send this guy, Nachum. And they send him with a big case, a big chest of, of riches, of treasures, of gold, of diamonds, of stones. They send him to the king, to, to the Caesar. He's going to bribe the Caesar. He stops at an inn, goes to sleep, wakes up in the morning, notices that in that chest is not what was in there before. It's actually just a bunch of sand. He's been robbed. They replaced it with sand. And his reaction was, this is good. This is great because it happened from God and everything that God does is good. The same attitude we're preaching right here. He goes to the king, offers him this bribe, the king opens it up, sees a bunch of sand. And the king says, 
okay, let's sentence him to death. He's making a mockery of us. It says, Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet, appears in disguise as one of the king's ministers and says to the king, there might be something unique about this sand. Maybe test it out. When Avraham, thousands of years prior, was fighting wars with the kings, the Talmud says that God made a miracle with, with sand. He would throw sand and it turned into arrows and he would shoot people with arrows from this sand. So they said, he's Jewish. He's from the lineage of Avraham. This might be special sand, says this to the king. Try it out before sending it to, sentencing him to death. They, um, the king tries it out. It works. Arrows. They give him a chest of gold and silver and riches. So he, he was at no loss. <laughs> Got what he needed to accomplish. Came home. The Talmud said, see, he saw everything for the good and it was good. Did it look good at the time? No, but he believed it was good. And in, in Hasidic literature and in Jewish philosophy, he'll take it a step further. The situation may have been good because he believed it was good. Um, because our beliefs can have an impact on reality, even though our beliefs don't define the existence of reality. But our beliefs are, are in our, our attitudes. Our thoughts. Our, our thoughts, our positive outlook on life, can have a, a, has an impact on, on positive outcome. That's a machzedek. The third Lubavitcher Rebbe used to say, Tracht good vitzayin, good think good, and it will be good. And the Rebbe used to clarify this wasn't just a therapeutic exercise. It wasn't just, you know, positive thinking, it's good for your, you know, it's, it's a better, it was actually, it's a reality. When you think good, things will be good. So I have a question. What about once bitten, twice shy? What does what that mean? What? Once bitten, twice shy? So Once you think something's gonna be twice. good and it's awesome and you and, it's and not. then it's and then it's not. And then you try test it again and you have positive beliefs that it's gonna be good and it's gonna be brilliant and you know and then and then and, and it's not. It doesn't make it any you, easier. And then it makes you stupid. Well it makes you feel yeah, it doesn't make because it any easier. Because you don't get you don't learn from like you're gonna jump off the roof and not break anything no, and no, not break your toes. So okay, it's a good point. Good point. Being thinking positively doesn't mean not being responsible. Yeah, we still have to be responsible. And as a person can't, you know, the famous guy, that, not the famous guy, that the guy says his daughter gets engaged and he starts interviewing his son-in-law. So what are you going to do for support my daughter? He says, you know, God will provide. And he says, okay, but, you know, cause it's expensive to live here. You know, this area is not cheap. You're going to need $100,000 a year. He says, I understand, but God's going to provide. <laughs> and so he, he, he introduces his son-in-law to his friends. He says, what do you think of your son-in-law? He says, he's great. He thinks I'm God. <laughs> no, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's important to be responsible. Being responsible, being positive are not... Don't, don't have to clutch. So realistically positive. Realistically positive. Responsibly positive. So bottom line. Believing that the situation is good even though it's not. It's a shift. It's a very big shift because I'm not focusing on how I experience it. If I focus on how I experience it, it's bad. If I'm being honest with myself, this is bad. But if I'm focusing on what the situation is, or to forget that, not what it is, where it came from came from God, how could it be bad? 
Now, See, I think that, that, that that's like a, a critical, critical point, right? Because some people embrace God af after something like something that they perceive as horrible. Some people embrace God and some people turn from God on that very, you know, yeah. it depends on, well, it depends on themselves, right? But I mean, it's yeah. just like, that's the turning point for... Definitely, definitely. So, so it's like, sometimes, um, from my experience, the, the more you suffer, the more you embrace it, because you know you learn from the previous suffering, so that you can actually know that God's there, like, and, and be positive about it. Because if you haven't suffered enough, then you're naive, and you kind of think, oh, well, it's a kind of... Punishment. Experience, definitely. So, so, so the, but what's incredible about this paradigm shift... This was not always the perspective in Judaism. And the truth is, even within Tanya, this is not the, always the perspective. If you look in the third section of Tanya, the third section of Tanya is the book of Teshuvah, where he discusses the me different methods to, to Teshuvah. And he discusses suffering, affliction. And he's a totally different approach then, section. Than, than what we're talking about here. Let's okay. take a look on, on, on our sheets here, text one. Here, oh, you got here. I got okay. on our sheets here. Text one, he says, The reason for happiness and afflictions of the body is that they are a great and potent favor for the sinning soul to cleanse it in the world, to redeem it from purification in the next. Suffering, the, the approach he gives here to cope with suffering, he says, When you suffer, know that you're being cleansed and God's doing you a favor. Now, the approach here is that it's more about you. The suffering is bad, the situation is bad, something good is going to come out of it. The approach that he's giving to us in our chapter is, stop focusing on your suffering. You're experiencing it in a bad way, but don't worry about your experience, it is good, it's from God. See the difference? One is, it's bad, the experience is bad, but God's doing you a favor. <laughs> Here he's saying, no. This is actually good. It's actually good. You just don't experience it that way. Okay, so don't trust your experiences. <laughs> That's where faith comes in. I don't trust my experiences. There's something deeper. There was the famous um, Israeli fighter jet. Jet fighter. Fighter jet. He, he was a... Is that who it was? He was See the one who had vertigo? You, you, oh. do, you, do you know this story? No. They were under this this sting operation. I don't I don't think it might have been in Tebby, might have been something else. I don't remember exactly what it is. He had vertigo. You lose balance, you lose everything. And he's in this fighter jet. And he feels that he's going upwards. But his compass is telling him that you're going south. You're going straight down. Nose diving down. But he doesn't trust. Says something's wrong with this machine. <laughs> something's wrong with this navigational system. I'm going because I'm going up. I know I'm going up. I feel it. But he's going down. It was only until his friends in the other jets, his 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 comrades in the other jets, radioed him and told him, "Hey, you need a you need a you need a reverse. You're going down." He felt like he was going up. We don't always, it's not always appropriate to trust our experiences. Something, there, there's something beyond our own experiences. 
And yes, the if we go by the experience, the situation is bad. But it itself is good. And this is where the paradigm shift comes in. Where the Altar Rebbe says, don't focus on good and bad. It's all good. It's comfortable and uncomfortable. There's good that's comfortable. There's good that's uncomfortable. Now, when we pray to God, we ask Him to give us good that's comfortable. <laughs> in other words, the method that He's giving us here to cope with suffering is after we've suffered, after the situation's happened. Before the situation is happening, or while the situation is happening, we tell God, hey, let's pray to Him. God, we want, this, we want to receive this comfortably. We don't, we don't want to be uncomfortable. I've had enough. I've had enough, right? The, 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 the advice that He's giving us here is somebody sitting in a therapeutic session with the alternative after he's experienced the suffering or he's, he's experiencing the residual effects, but after the situation has happened. Before it's happened, don't embrace it. Okay, but now there's a problem with this. Why pray to ask them to take it away when it's all good? Because it's all good, and you, why are you fighting the system? Because it's, you're supposed to have it, and it's supposed to be there. Good and question. you're praying, and it's, it's bugging me, because you're not supposed to pray a, for it to God. Maybe that's why you don't always get what you pray for from God. Yeah. That could be. But why, why would you pray in the first place? But why would you pray in the first place? Because, because bottom you, line... You're questioning God. If you pray, you're questioning you. You say, why you give this to me? That's a good question. The, the, the most... Bottom line, what God wants from you... From all of us it, is to stay positive to serve him and we yes. can't do that if we're suffering but you can because you, other people are helping you so you're actually serving God because you are what the other people need to be the, the, the to, to, do you understand you, you're bringing the positivity everywhere but else but I, your, your mission in this world our mission in this world is to yeah. serve God with joy to the, to the best that we can but everybody's God and so you're serving community, you're serving but, God. Yeah, yeah, but it has to be with joy. With joy. And if you're suffering, so if you've, if a situation's happened already, yes. we have to realize that it's good and we have to find a way to be joyous. But if, it's all, if it hasn't happened yet or it's in the middle of happening, we say, God, take it away because I need to have joy. The joy is more important than the goodness that God's giving me. So and as we tell God, keep your goodness to yourself. <laughs> let me be joyful. And let me be joyful because I have to serve God with joy. It's hard. I, it's, but like, like, what, what if, um, in that story you told, if the, the guy with the uh, chest of sand, if, if he had prayed overnight, he prayed that nobody steal the, the you know, the valuables. Exactly. So, but, but once the valuables were taken, now you can have that attitude. Before the valuables are taken, you know, lock up your chest and, and be a little bit more, <laughs> be a little bit more cautious, be a little bit more responsible. And, and this actually brings me to text two over here in our sheets. Text two is an excerpt from a book called Beis Aaron, authored by Rav Aaron of Karlin. Rav Aaron of Karlin was the, the Rebbe of the Hasidic dynasty of the, the Karliner Hasidim. Rav Aaron of Karlin had a relationship with the Alter Rebbe. Um, at the very, <laughs> his relationship, they were close, but they also clashed. They clashed not politically, but philosophically. Very, they were very respectful of one another, but philosophically, they they had very different, different perspectives on life. You, you told us about him. He he was not into joy, right? He was. So they were into joy. They they were into passion. Hmm. Even if you weren't feeling the passion, you're passionate. 
So you go to a Karliner synagogue and they're singing and they're screaming at the top and the and the outside it was more from the outside in. Let's demonstrate passion and we're gonna feel it. And the Altered Ebbers approach is let's start from the inside. Let's develop feelings of passion, let's learn about the soul. It was more of a methodical, intellectual approach. So the Chabad approach and the Chabad Hasidim relative to the Karliner Hasidim are gonna come off more cold. But they're also being more honest in a sense. The Karlino Hasidim are going to be more passionate and warm. And, and none of this is, this is all just different philosophy. It's all good. But there would be, they, it wouldn't be as real and as honest. Which means you might be dependent on the environment that you're in. You wouldn't be able to take that with you to Pleasanton or to other places. <laughs> um, let, let's read text two. And this is what he says about praying for goodness. And this is really relevant to what we're saying here. Who, um, who'd like to be our volunteer? Mike? Mike, go, rock, rock, paper, scissors. Right, John. Uh, when we pray that God gives us goodness, we ask that even the garment in which it's dressed should be good. Rabbi Zusha of Anopoli explained that this is analogous to someone who found a precious gem, but it was covered in sharp thorns, making it impossible to appreciate the gem because of the pricking of the thorns. This is why we pray that the garments in which we receive God's benevolence should be good. So we pray not thank you. We pray not only that we get goodness, but we get goodness that we can appreciate. The, the Altsudeva says here in this chapter there's two types of good. It's just comfortable and uncomfortable, and they correspond to two different worlds. On the top of 301, he said there's because this apparent misfortune, in other words, goodness that's uncomfortable stems from what's called the unmanifest world, the hidden worlds, which is above the manifest world. So he gets into a little bit of uh, Kabbalah over here. But there's two worlds. There's the hidden worlds, there's the revealed worlds. The hidden world is where, or let me start the other way around, the revealed world. What this means is basically two ways God experience, um, expresses himself. There's a revealed part of God. Right? There's times where we experience God. There's times where God, there's a part of God which is, you know, we have faith. We can't get him logically. But we have to have faith. That's called the revealed world and the hidden world. The revealed world means goodness that I can appreciate. Comes, God, gives, God does stuff that we can appreciate, so it's revealed good. This feels tangible. Tangible good. And then uncomfortable good, a.k.a. what we experience as bad, comes from what's called the hidden world in Kabbalah. You mean what we experience as pain? What we experience as painful, which we, we often define as bad, right? Why does God do bad things to good people? Whereas the al Rebbe would challenge that question and say, does God do bad things to good people? Well, it's coming is, from is the... It gives you challenges. It gives a challenge, that's for sure. Is, is the sense of pain... I would still say that, that that's a tangible experience of the manifest world, but what you're, but the meaning behind it is really what's the intangible from the unmanifest world, the so, higher so, meaning. So what he says is because it's from an unmanifest world, it's from the hidden world, the goodness is so good that you can't appreciate it, you, you experience it as bad. Sometimes goodness is so good, but you, you know, sometimes you can have, you have too much, 
it just, you know, Chinese food is good. <laughs> it all boils down to Chinese food. Too much Chinese food. We were supposed to have our Chinese event, Chinese food event. Right? Oh, we're, we're oh, going we're gonna, to. We're still going to have to. It's going to happen. Can, you can measure that. Too much Chinese food is even better. But it's not going to be experienced that way. <laughs> when we have it, we'll get the experience as a stomachache. It's going to be experienced as a stomachache. <laughs> Too, too much goodness is good. It's just beyond what we can experience. God is giving us... He, he's giving us good... It, it, yeah, He's giving us goodness, but it's, it's from this hidden world. We experience it as bad. As God, you're overwhelming me. But it's actually good. In Kabbalah, the way Kabbalah explains the hidden and revealed world, the hidden world is the world of intellect. The revealed world is the world of emotions. If I share information with you that is intellectually, it makes sense, but it's not emotionally appealing, but you should know this information. It's good that I'm telling this to you, but you're not going to appreciate it. It's the hidden world. It's the world of intellect, right? You have some people that are very emotional. You have some people that are very intellectual. And when an emotional person talks to you, they're usually more will appeal to your emotions, right? But when a rational person talks to you and just says it like it is, says it like it is, nobody wants to talk to him. He's saying good things. He's telling you the truth. The truth hurts. But, but usually you learn your emotions help you learn. So if you've got an emotional connection to something, then, then you're intellectual, you want to learn it. And then you'll be more likely to learn that. You won't learn something that just doesn't have any connection. Well, well that's the bottom line. If, if we can bridge the best of both worlds, that's what we would want. In other words, so to, so to give you an analogy. I say something to you. And let's say you misinterpreted what I said. And what I meant to I meant to, I meant for it to be a compliment, but you experienced it as an insult, right? That's the world of emotions. You didn't get the intellectual part. You didn't get what I meant. You jumped straight to the emotions. How you experienced it? How you experienced it was bad. But if you were to go to the world of intellect, to my mind, if you were to be able to dig into my mind, which you can't, but if you could and understand what I meant, would you experience what I said as painful or as complimentary? complimentary. It would be complimentary. We can ask. Now, it's the same thing with... Well, well that we, we can do, right? But, it, but it's the same thing with God. When we experience negativity from God, what He's doing is being vulnerable with us. He's saying something like it is. But we're not rational, so to speak. We don't understand what's in his mind. We don't actually get how it's really good. If we were to be able to crawl into God's mind and understand the meaning behind it, we wouldn't experience the pain. We would experience it as complimentary. So when you're going through the pain and you study and you try to find the meaning behind it and intellectualize it, then you're doing good. And Or, or at least believe that there's meaning behind it. And that's what and the Altadev is saying. It. You find the meaning, you'll be fine. Exactly. So that describes the way that you think about this chapter. Your your attitude is, I don't want to teach you this chapter. I don't want you to think about this chapter, but I'm going to teach you this chapter anyway. 
exactly. Exactly. It's unpleasant, and and especially people who are in pain don't want to think about this chapter. Because it's I, hard. I don't know it's if you were here when actually, he was. Were you sitting here when he was saying, "I don't want to teach you this. Yeah, I don't want to skip it." It's yeah. it's it's vulnerability is the deepest. It deepens a relationship, but it hurts. If you can get over the pain, if you cannot focus on the experience of someone being vulnerable with you, but just f focus on the fact that they are being vulnerable with you, it's very meaningful. So when God does bad to us, what we experience is bad. Instead of focusing on my experience, wait a minute, this is coming from a deeper source than regular good would come from. God's being vulnerable with me. Now, right? God could be nice to us. He could be honest. When we pray, we pray that he's nice. But when he is honest with us, we have to look past the experience and focus on, on, on the relationship itself. It's a big shift. It's an incredible shift. But so not, I, not, I have not another fun. analogy. Uh, when, when you're a kid and you get a cut, parents say put alcohol or something on the wound you, you, you cry it really hurts when yeah. you're older and you understand that, that the alcohol helps you actually kind exactly. of like the pain exactly exactly and, and you know the, the Rebbe used to give this this analogy when people you know ask about all these you know why do good things bad things happen to good people if you were a caveman and somehow got into a client time machine and we're able to enter the year 2000 and what are we, 20? I was about to say 2019. <laughs> I'm living in the past, man. If you were able to enter the year 2020, you walk into a building, you, you glance into the window, and you see a man with a long white coat with, with blades, with scalpels, with tweezers, tearing somebody open. You think he's this gruesome, evil person. He's killing a person. It's anatomy. Little did you know he's a surgeon saving somebody's life. You see that one isolated bit. But if I had the sense to say, wait a minute, I'm not from the year 2020. I'm from the year one. Maybe there's something I don't know. Maybe there's a greater depth here. And yes, the experience is painful. Nobody wants to be cut open. But forget the experience for a second, right? Anesthesia. <laughs> Let's numb ourselves from the experience for a second. And look at what's happening. Right? God is exposing himself to me and it hurts because there's so much goodness, right? All this Chinese food. No. <laughs> there's so much goodness coming to me. And when it comes in this great quantity, or as he says, from the unmanifest world, from a higher source, I can't appreciate it emotionally. Rationally, I could. Make sense? Yeah. So, okay, yeah. you go ahead and then I'll say. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I was going to say, um, but it's not necessarily our goal to understand or comprehend that which is of and we don't have to what he says here is he says accept it with joy and 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 at least have that faith right right because you know i, I think I, I don't know if it was rabbi Raleigh or maybe you told the story about well moses in front of the burning bush said god please tell me everything i need to know and god said i will not Right. I need you to empathize. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, so, because so if Moses were to fully comprehend God's will, God would no longer uh, Moses would no longer have the ability to empathize with the Jewish people. Right. So when Aaron's two sons were killed by the fire, 
they they were fooling around and they did improper improper sacrifices. What are they called? A natural fire or something fire? It, it was a it's, it's a f strange word that they use in English. Okay, to describe the fire, like like unnatural or uh, something. But do you think Aaron said, "Oh, this is for the good"? Well, at first he was upset about, it, but then. Moshe said something to him, and, and then he suddenly quieted up. I mean, you I mean, can't have any correctly. pain more than losing children. Uh, you know, there, the, even in, it's a, I, I don't know. How do you balance, there's a mitzvah, an obligation to mourn, to mourn loved ones. But bottom line, everything has its time and place. You know, there, there was the famous chassid. I wasn't going to say this story because for the same reason that I didn't want to teach the chapter, but I'm going to say it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> there was a famous chassar of Hillel Pardacher. Par Hillel lost a son. And he was crying. And again, you, you will erase this from the record. If anybody says I said this story, I'm, I'm going to deny it. But uh, Sorry, are we recording? It's going to the world. <laughs> That's right, we're the recording. <laughs> erase this from the record. Maybe you should keep quiet. I'm protecting you. <laughs> <laughs> I need a lawyer after this one. No. You have to have big trust. Rapilla lost a son and was crying. And Hasidim said to him, Rapilla, it's sad, but you live and breathe this Tanya. How are you crying? He said, That's why I'm crying. That is why I'm crying. Why don't I have the strength to implement this chapter? But so, so can I just say something? So when you have a loss or, or you have something bad happen to you, then you open yourself up to, 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 to change. And you, you open yourself up to learning. And you open yourself up to empathizing with people who've also had the change. A hundred percent. It's lying. You know, he, 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 I don't think he's suggesting that we deny the, our pain and that we don't mourn, that we don't grieve. It's like but I think there's a time where, there is a time and place where I need to be passionate. I need to live life passionately. And I need to, there's a time and place for everything. And there is a time and place where I need to shift from focusing on my experience to just embracing the goodness so I can be passionate. So I can serve God with joy. I, th I think that's the that's the bottom line. It's going to be different. It seems like for everybody, for sure. You, the time when you can embrace and how much you can embrace and how quickly you can. Yeah, for sure, this definitely won't, won't be a one size fits all. It's, it's like when you're six and you're really like so mature that you haven't had a childhood because you're doing this awesome stuff and you've done your vomits for already and you've learned all and. And then, and then you're not ready for it. And it's like, you know, you, you, it has to be, it's got to be a timeline. There's I, no timeline. I mean, definitely during, during Shiva, you know, don't, God forbid, if somebody had to sit Shiva, this, it's not the time to learn this chapter necessarily. There's a time and place for everything, 100%. Well, during Shiva, you shouldn't be studying at all, right? Well, there, there's appropriate things to be studying. There's, there's, there's what can you study? You? Things, things that are relevant to, to morning. So I'll tell you a story. About eight years ago. Eight years ago? Yeah, about eight, nine years ago, sorry. 
No, eight years ago. Sorry. <laughs> Not that it really matters. <laughs> my brother is in... I'm in Yeshiva in Los Angeles. My brother is living in Tarzana. My parents. And there's a visitor at Shul. A guy who shall be nameless. Because he may be listening. No, okay. Uh, <laughs> we'll call him... So this, this guy, my brother runs into this guy. He's interested in exploring his Judaism. Didn't have a formal Jewish education. And my brother says, well, and, and he lives in Los Angeles, not too far from the yeshiva. So he says, oh, my brother's in yeshiva there. You live right near there, a few miles away. You'll study with my brother. I get a text from my brother. There's a guy coming to learn with you tomorrow, right after Shabbos. I'm like, what? This guy used to come once a week. We'd study together. And we've kept up that relationship ever since for the past eight years. Um, sometimes more or less frequently. This guy had a very difficult life. He was orphaned at a relatively young age. Um, he was impoverished. He lived with his mom. Apparently his uncles stole their inheritance. inheritance. And, and life was very difficult. He had a very t hard time in school. He had ADD and couldn't focus. I had a hard time getting things done. Was overly ambitious and driven, but had a hard time accomplishing. And just life was hard. And his entire understanding of relationships, his entire understanding of meaning and purpose in life, he's a meaningful, deep person, but he was still jaded by secular society. And would get into all sorts of unhealthy relationships then get into this teshuva mode I'm never doing this again and then get back into these relationships with people he shouldn't be having relationships with and it was just this ugly cycle it came to a point where he calls me says I'm leaving Los Angeles that's too expensive I don't know it, he moves to Montana he gets a job which he does not like doing the air conditioning business crawling through air ducts, installing air vents. and He ends up not being able to find an apartment. He's living in his car, and his life is just spiraling downwards. He, he, he says to me one, at one point, he says, as an air conditioner installer, <laughs> I love this line, he says, I could tell you that some people don't need psychologists and therapists, they just need some good air conditioning. <laughs> 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 He's a funny guy. <laughs> this past summer. And that guy, did he succeed? So, so this past summer, I call him. No answer. We would talk once a month, and I texted him. No answer. WhatsApp. No answer. Email. No answer. I Facebooked him. He hasn't been on Facebook for a while. No answer. I don't know what to do. This guy is in the middle of Montana, not answering anything. I left messages, couldn't get through to him. I knew that he had a relationship with Rabbi Brook in Montana. Chabad of Montana. I emailed Rabbi Brook. Do you know so-and-so? Is he okay? I haven't heard of him. And heard from him. I immediately assumed the worst. Because I knew that he did have suicidal thoughts in the past. You know, he was going through a rough time. And there was times where I called him randomly, and he said, you just saved a life. <laughs> I was 
said, whoa. <laughs> Rabbi Brooke emails me back. What's your phone number? My stomach just drops. Like, oh no. I'm going to be flying out to a funeral. What's, what's happening? Rabbi Brooke calls me. And says, thank God he's alive. But he's behind bars. Did something he shouldn't have. Got into a relationship that he shouldn't have. And he's behind bars. And I'm going to be visiting him soon. Because he's not too far. He's several miles from the prison. And we'll, we'll be in touch. I'll let you know. I'll keep you updated. Um, in the meantime, I was in touch with his mother. I'm in touch with his lawyer. They wanted me to write a letter of recommendation. And ugly story. <laughs> Interestingly enough, my father didn't overhear the conversation. My father happened to have been over when I was talking to my brother. He, he only heard my heart side of the conversation. He didn't hear the other side. My father is a criminal defense lawyer. And he says, he must have done this and this. I'm like, how did you know that? He's like, I live and breathe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's in that world. He knows what's... So my friend calls me. He calls me a little bit before Yom Kippur. The day before Yom Kippur, actually. And as you can imagine, he's in an ugly place. Spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. He's in prison. He doesn't know when he's getting out. He's scared. He's depressed. I mean, I don't know have you... I, I've actually been to prison before just visiting as a... You know, volunteering for Purim and for Hanukkah. It's, it, you know, being locked in a cell, somebody running your life. It's scary. It's very scary. When we were visiting prisons for Hanukkah in Yeshiva, one of the guys are talking to the to all the inmates. First thing you do is you get there and you say, okay, well, why don't we go around and we'll say our names, what's everybody in for? No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be content. <laughs> why are you in the big house? Then, then you run. So what are you in for? <laughs> so one of them is talking. He says, everything's trying to inspire them. Everything in this world is controlled by, and he's about to say, God. One of them yells out, the government. <laughs> That's kind of his worldview. You know, everybody's, everything's controlled by the government. Where was I? I lost so my call. Called you. He called you. Okay, so he calls me, and he's in a very ugly place. He's very, emotionally, he's he's scared. He was crying on the phone to me. This is the day before Yom Kippur. Several months later, probably three months later, it was the night before I'm giving this uh, this class in JLI on this exact topic, this, this exact text. This year, this past this year, this is several months ago. Okay. It was the night before I'm giving this class, and I'm. Again, like I was tonight, freaking out, how am I going to teach this chapter? <laughs> because I just don't want to. <laughs> I really, it's deep, it's important, it's powerful, it's meaningful. I don't want to teach it, though. <laughs> how am I going to teach it? My friend calls me. And this is literally the night before I'm about to teach. He calls me, and he just sounds positive. Sounds like he's in a good place. And he says, I taught myself how to read Hebrew. I'm davening every day. I'm appreciative. I'm thankful. I feel close to God. And he says to me, not that I would have asked to be put in this position, but I like this. God did me the greatest favor. I turned, I turned my life around. I shifted my perspective. My whole life before prison, he was ready to give up on life. He says, now I know that I have another chance at life. I could start over. Reboot. Is my whole life I was focusing 
on my own comfort. And he says, I have a shift. My life is no longer centered around my comfort. It's centered around my relationship with God. And I said to him, this is incredible. Because I'm about to teach this tomorrow. And now i got a story to tell. <laughs> this is really the essence of this chapter. The paradigm shift. It's shifting from focusing on how I experience life and on my own comfort to my relationship with God. And when I focus on my relationship with God, now God's being vulnerable with me. He's giving me this uncomfortable situation. It's his way of saying, this is some sort of goodness you just can't appreciate. But if you focus on the goodness, if you believe in it at least, it definitely takes away the sting. Okay, so coming to that story. So um, when you're working in the hospital with all the kids with emotional problems and ADHD and all that, some of them did like actions that they shouldn't have. They said, if you can make one relationship in your life, and it's a positive one, and it's the one relationship. You could have the most terrible background. You can have like everything that can go wrong with you can go wrong. But if you can have that relationship, you're going to be okay. Exactly. And your relationship. Exactly. And, and the relationship itself might be uncomfortable. But if you're not focused on the experience, but on the actual relationship, God is being close with me. This is God's way of being vulnerable. And vulnerability hurts. But if I focus not on the pain of the vulnerability, but just the fact that he's being vulnerable... By showing me his goodness and I just can't appreciate it, it definitely takes away the sting and I could definitely accept it more more uh, willingly. And an incredible, a beautiful analogy that I, that I read in one of the Rebbe's teachings. The moon, again, the moon doesn't have its own light. The moon gets its light from the sun. The moon is just reflecting from the sun. When is the moon at its brightest point? It's the biggest. When it's getting Opposite all the of the sun. When it's getting all of the sun. But at what point is it getting all of the sun? When it's furthest from the sun. The further it is from the sun, the more it's going to shine. The closer it is to the sun, the more it's being blocked. It's only going to, right? And, and when there's a very little moon, it's because it's too close. It's dark. There's no sun, apparent sun. That's because it's so close. Sometimes we're so close with God, we experience pain, we experience darkness. But if we focus not on the darkness, on the reason why there's darkness, there's closeness. And closeness sometimes is experienced as darkness. But if we can focus on the closeness, it won't be as painful. There's actually a philosophical debate amongst contemporary, not contemporary, amongst the ancient biblical scholars and commentaries, different commentaries on the Talmud. Is darkness a creation or is darkness just the lack of light? So did God create on the first day of creation? Did did God create light? And that kind and there was darkness by default, or did He create light and dark? Well, and there's good arguments for both sides. I, I think from what we've been reading in here, um, they would lend just lend it towards God created both darkness and light. I agree. Now just throw... Because before that, there was nothing that we could conceive of. Exactly. Maybe he could, but we couldn't. Now just to throw a, a, a counter-argument, if we look back in chapter 12, we said a little bit of light dispels a lot of darkness, implying that darkness is just a lack of light. So the real answer is, you're correct, and I'm correct. The answer is both. 
God create. There is a. There's two levels of darkness that Kabbalah speaks of, and the Hasidus talks about, elaborates on. There's a level of darkness which is a lack of light, and then there's a level of darkness which is actually its own existence. The level of darkness which is just a lack of light. We don't want that light. We don't want that darkness. So turn on the light. The darkness leaves. You're good. The level of darkness which is a creation is actually such a bright and deep light. It's experienced as dark. It's such a bright, it's so bright light that it's perceived as dark. It darkens, yeah. Just like the moon is so close to the sun, it, it, you, it, you don't get to experience its light. Now, it's backlighting. Exactly. <laughs> Coming from the photographer, right? <laughs> the, the, the point being... The darkness that we experience, if we focus not on the fact that it's dark, but that we're close, it takes away the whole bite, it takes away the whole pain. It explains the whole chapter. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's... Because it's too close and it's too dark and you're going to go. And if we... T so it, that, that's the meditation that the Altadev is giving us, to cope with pain so we could serve God with joy. He says, you're, you're in pain, okay, just don't focus on the pain, focus on the closeness. Now, close relationships are, can hurt sometimes. Vulnerability hurts. But focus on the closeness, not on the pain that's coming from it. Now, let's take a look on page 303. Right now, we have to believe that the pain is, that, that the uncomfortable situation is goodness from a deeper source. When Mashiach comes, we're not going to believe it. We're going to actually see it. And, and this is what he says, the third to last paragraph. This presently unmanifest world will then shine and illuminate profusely and intensely to all those who took refuge in God in the current era. If we can believe it now, we'll see it then. I'm going to jump down to the second to, to last uh, paragraph. And this experience will be possible only for those who retreat in his shade. Now in the current area, era, if we can retreat in his darkness, if we can experience how the darkness is actually closeness. They find God even in the darker experiences of pain and suffering. Now here's the key. It's the shadow of Chachma. The shadow, the darkness, is actually an expression of Chachma. And, and the word shadow of Chachma, again, is from, I can't pronounce that, but from, from King Solomon's work, what is it? Ecclesiastes. 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 Ecclesiastes, okay, Kohelet. The shadow, the darkness, is experienced as good because it's really Chachma. What is Chachma? Openness. Openness, right? Inquiry. Inquiry. Yeah. Bitzel. When I'm open, when I have bitzel, when I'm not focused, when my life is not centered around me, my experiences, but it's centered around my relationship, that's what openness is. So now I don't experience, I'm not focused on the pain, I'm focused, and I can accept this all with joy. That's the whole shift. This entire section of this chapter, is a, that's the paradigm shift. Shifting from my experience, the focusing on my experience. Is it good, bad? Is it uncomfortable goodness or is it comfortable goodness? To the relationship. It's goodness. God is being good. God is being close to me. That's bitzel. That's chachma. If I can make that single shift, like my friend did, shifting from focusing on my experiences in life or, or my my 
my comfort in life to my relationships, I'll be in a good place. It's a hard shift. That's why I didn't want to teach it. No. <laughs> so, so if you sh- better before your experience of this thing, then you be ready for it. Exactly. But, 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 but it's if you better before, then you're actually not living because you better. You're not part of anything. You don't belong. You're not. On, on the contrary, you're, you're just a number. If no, if you have bits, all you're living. But you, you, you're just a number. You're just part of this big thing that you don't know about, but you're working towards. But now you're, you're alive. But but you're alive, preparing yourself for for a very serious thing to come, and you're gonna be okay when that thing comes because you'll be ready to die. Are you ready to live? You're ready to live in a different plane. But in this world, you'll be in this world living. You'll be alive. We, we said back in chapter 19, Chachma synonymous with life. And it's actually, there's a verse, I forgot which, which part so of the Bible says, Chachma in life. You're open to new things. You're open to yeah. things that are not physical. But a, person who has, physical a person who has bittel yeah. has a life. My close mind, people who are who reject faith because they're open-minded, but they're being closed-minded. They're not living. They're constantly... A person is focused on their on themselves, bottom line, is not living. That doesn't mean we don't we neglect ourselves, God forbid. It doesn't mean we don't take care of ourselves. But what is my... What is my... Um, what is my focus? You're Again, the, 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 enough to be to be ready for things before they actually get there. There's, there's, a, there's a talk of the Rebbe where he explains the idea of Bittal. And Bittal's openness. It's an open vessel. And he clarifies, Bittal means an open vessel, not a broken vessel. It doesn't mean to neglect our bodies. It doesn't mean to neglect our life. It doesn't mean to neglect our family and relationships. On the contrary, it need, that will, oh, Bittal, openness, yeah. will infuse our relationships, our lives with, 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 with joy. So we don't, it, it doesn't mean to be neglectful and to not live. On the contrary, if, if we're not living joyfully and if we're not living life, then we don't have bits or we're doing it wrong. This is one of the definitions, one of the translations you love, um, bittal. Yeah, because it sounds too A little bit. Or am I thinking of a different word? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's being you as insignificant in the big scheme of things. You're the one life that's going to make the big life. But I, I think that the, the point of, the point of a little bit is you're saying, I'll think about myself a little bit so that I can be open. So I'm vulnerable to even the so elements much, you know, that like I'm good. Insignificant. I mean, think about it. The most right. closed-minded people are usually self-centered. Yes. Yeah. They go hand in hand. Yeah. Open-minded people are pro-social. They see what other people need. Who's more alive? And who's going to be more open to a re- to the relationship when, God forbid, a painful situation happens rather than just their experience? So if you're open before, you're ready for it. Exactly. So, so it seems like it's important to be able to um, look for, the, while you're suffering, look for the, the say, let's take the extreme. You're in the last stages of cancer. You're... It's in your bones, you're suffering constantly, and you know where this is going to end. There is no getting better. So, Embrace it. can you still experience that? Can you still experience the light while you're living? Do you have the ability to, does the, 
Chokhmah still work while you know where this is going to end. It's not going to be relieved. But can is the ultimate game being able to relate to God while this is happening. I, I yes, but but it wouldn't be the pr appropriate time. The Talmud says that even if you're standing with a sword to your throat, don't stop praying. It's not over. So never give up. Yeah, person shouldn't give up. It's once the experienced experience has happened. Maybe the fact that that diagnosis happened in the first place, right? But where it's going to end up, I know this is all looking back. This isn't looking forward. Looking forward, we need to trust God. We need to pray to God. We need to, we need to fight. But looking back, why did so-and-so get that diagnosis? Or why did, in the first place, so yes, you, you, it would be, Chachma would be helpful, my bitzel, being open, being open, open to this relationship with God, to the closeness with God, would, would help the person cope. It's not so-and-so, because all this only applies to ourselves. Oh, right. To so true. I stand corrected. Yeah. To? Only, only applies to ourselves. So it doesn't apply to other people. You can never, yeah, I mean, don't say that, okay, clearly they, obviously, well, like, they're, you know, God is doing good for them. And we just, it looks bad. Sure, but, sure. Because, yeah. like, like sure, my, when my grand passed away, somebody very religious said, oh, don't worry, you'll get over it. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. So, you know what? So, got that goes with what you said to start that we shouldn't show this, teach this to anybody else. Exactly. You know, the, so, the Balsham so to. <laughs> so, well, yeah. You apply it to yourself. Exactly. Right? You exactly. can look at things that happen to you and say, okay, really, so, but anything bad that happens to another person is, is unintolerable. But, but you un, can support uh, them, though. You can support that, 100%. Them because of your experience. So then you're going back to the experience experiential thing and not the you're exactly right, exactly right, correct reaction is to be upset with god about someone else suffering no you don't do so, so the Baal Tov used to preach that everything in this world is godly everything has a godly source and somebody once challenged him and he said what about atheism how can atheism be godly the Baal Tov said atheism is very godly atheism is very holy when somebody else is suffering you got to be an atheist <laughs> Don't don't say God is gonna take care of you. You're gonna be help them, be an atheist. So would you say that Rabbi Akiva's final moments were a direct application of this concept? Meaning, here he is. He's certainly going to die by the hands of his oppressors, and yet he made the ultimate connection with Hashem during his final moments, realizing that. He finally had. He finally. It, it became clear how to best serve God at this final. He moment. saw it as an opportunity. Yeah. So something that many could perceive as, well, certainly everyone around him perceived as horrifying. What did he do? Uh, he was. He was Brood. killed. And he was like brutally killed. Skin, skinned the black. They skinned him with iron combs and. Oh, and but he. But he. <laughs> I think his, his final words were like, you know, I finally understand. Um, Shema, the Shema, right? Um, and, and what did, it truly did means. Did you see the letters floating off the Torah or something? Was that Rabbi Akiva? I don't remember. Because there was, there was a few, I think there was some. Like, I don't know if I would. Say, don't you <laughs> I don't know if I can see it like Rabbi Akiva. <laughs> I don't know if <laughs> any of us could. <laughs> well, but yeah. that, that, that's the thing. It's like, like that's the ultimate. Yeah. But we could. We could to a degree. You know, sometimes 
This can apply, by the way. It doesn't have to apply to like tr big tragic situations. Sure. Sometimes there's like minor inconveniences that yeah. that kind of just frustrate us, and we could say, "Wait a minute, it's, it's uncomfortable." Does that mean it's bad? Maybe God is. This is God's way of being vulnerable. He's showing me His goodness. It's more good than I can appreciate. But maybe if I shift focus, the focus from my relate my comfort to the relationship. Yeah. That's why it took me 15 minutes longer to get home today. Exactly. Because <laughs> it was no, it, it, it doesn't, in other words, this, I don't think this has to be just with big, tragic, right. end of world holocausts. It could be with... every day. That's right. It, no, this could be no, little... You have to identify it. So you have to identify the thing that makes you uncomfortable. Yes, yes. for good reason. 100%. But it could apply to small little... Like the fact that they know moon See, that's where you don't want exactly. to tell your wife. <laughs> and I'm You're so lucky I was stuck in traffic. You can say, I'm lucky because I was stuck in traffic. Yeah. But that's, yeah, you can't say to your wife, you're lucky I was stuck in traffic. I, I, I can't. So, so the fact is, you still got a calm. You were stuck in traffic. No, there was no accidents. Well, there, there's you also a story of people who missed a flight that eventually crashed. So it was, ended up being their best day. What about the people on the flight? It was, they don't know about it because they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't have the issue. They're not there to tell the story. They don't have to study Tanya about it. Bali shared a story of the Shabbos. I think it was really about a, an Israeli guy that was, he made a cruise reservation and he ordered kosher food and he flew from Israel to, I think, Japan or wherever the cruise was taking off from. And he came and was like, oh, we didn't get the kosher food. So the average person was like, okay, fine. So like food special was like, I'll figure it out. He's like, okay, I'm going to go. And that boat ended up being coronavirus. Yeah. 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 And Oh, this is a fresh story. Yeah, this just happened. Well, that Rabbi, wow. Rabbi uh, Rolly told that story. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that, that's the ship that has the, in Japan with the coronavirus? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. He missed the cruise and he missed the coronavirus. And because of kosher food. That's awesome. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing, amazing. Yeah. Mm. Okay, good stuff. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Good story. <laughs>